Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today is book club day. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Gail and I are going to be discussing The Real Michael Swan by Brian Reardon. I don't know why I that name, it always makes me stop for a minute and think about what is the name of the book that we're reading? <laughs> and I yeah. guess because once you introduce the real in there, there's some like, just like what name? Well, I think it's also because there's two male names. So it's like The Real Michael Swan by Brian Reardon. It's right. a lot of male names to remember. Right. And we don't, and they're not typically like, yeah, they're also not like, they're sort of generic names. Right. Brian and Michael. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to be discussing that. And since it is, we're recording this on Sunday, which I think is the last day of summer. I think fall starts tomorrow. So we have discussed the hot books of the summer, but Gail and I want to take a look at some of the, what we read personally over the summer and to give you some of those highlights. Gail, what are you, do you have a, what you're reading right now, or do you just want to discuss the summer books? I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, no, what I'm reading, I'm reading three women. I'm about 25% of the way done. So I'm really excited to discuss that with you because I know you had very strong opinions about it. A lot of people have had strong opinions about it. And so far I'm actually really liking it. So um, I'm looking forward to discussing it. It's. I think you're right that it's not what I expected. That I mean, I think I felt similarly to you that it isn't what I expected. But I have been enjoying it a lot nonetheless. So that is my print. And then I just started a book on audio called The New Me by Hallie Butler. This is the second book I've read by Hallie Butler. And I mean, I literally just started the audio. It's a super short book, so I don't think it'll take very long. But it that is a definitely a, of a type. I don't know if you read any Hallie Butler. I forgot what the name of the other book was. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, that, Jillian. That cover looks like a cover of this other woman whose book I read, and I can't think of the name. I didn't really like it. I think it was set. I think it was the time period that it was set in and it seems sort of dated to me. Um, you know, and not that you can't read old books or whatever, but I just, I didn't really connect with that oh, book. Oh, the cover? The co- this this the cover is similar to another writer who writes, it just has a very similar cover. Hmm, okay. Like when I saw this cover, I had to look at this book to figure out if that was the book that I had read. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's got this sort of stylized, like, 60s woman with, like, a little flip hairdo on it. it so what is bu- this, a bug what on is this with you and the bug book? There's, like, fly on this one. I know. It's there was the second a spider one. on someone's face. Yeah, and summerlings. <laughs> right. I know. I noticed that this morning. I don't know. It's not certainly not something I'm seeking and out. And isn't that something? Um, it wasn't summerlings. Wasn't it set back, like, uh... I feel like it was like mm-hmm. a coming of age, but back in the day. So I don't know what they're saying yeah, about the, the 60s, 70s with these insidious spiders, bugs. Well, the new me is not uh, set in the 60s. It's, it's current oh, day. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really sure what, 
the connection is with the title, with the book and the cover. But yeah, it's present day. This is like a very angry author. Ooh. Like she's just got a lot of... Vim. It's a... I mean, at least the narrators. I can't... I don't want to impute the author with what the narrator feels. Um, But yeah, just these are... These are angry books. Ooh. Jillian was about this woman who goes to work and there's like another woman at work who's sort of the opposite of her. Like one of them is very dark and depressed and the other woman is like super fake positive all the time. And it's about how she, they're, they're kind of nemeses of each other. And that is about that relationship. And then this one is about, the new me is about a woman who's a temp in Chicago and she's living this like very unfulfilled life. But there's just, they're both books are just kind of seething with anger. Mm. <laughs> just like, they're very angry. Um, so anyway, I mean, I've just started on probably like 15 pages in. That's so interesting because but that's what I'm reading. When you look, I'm looking at this cover on Amazon and it says customers who viewed this item also viewed. And of course, they have Jillian there, but they also mm-hmm. have my year of rest and relaxation. <laughs> oh, funny. So I don't, that was like, I don't know that that was, that book is really anger. It's more the opposite anger turned in, like, you know, like lots of depression and trying to sleep away your life. But it's interesting that mm-hmm. it comes up with these books that are about very, sort of unhappy women or unhappy relationships because normal people also came up and Jen Bacon's vacuum in the dark also came up. Mm, interesting. So the New Yorker calls this an office novel for a precarious age. The story of a temp worker in Chicago feels like a definitive work of millennial literature. Mm. So anyway, uh, it's, it's only like a five hour audio. So I should get through that one pretty fast. So that is what I am reading. What about you? I am. I don't know. I think I'm pretty much between books that I can. I just, I finished up our book club book like the night before I crammed. No, I didn't cram. Mm -hmm. This book just, this book goes really quickly. I, I did not feel like I needed lots of time. I felt comfortable starting it in the same week that I knew we were going to record the show. Uh, It did go very quickly. I am eyeing because I, my book club pick is next and I've decided on nickel boys by Colson Whitehead. So I am probably about a quarter or no, a third of the way through nickel boys. And I think that's okay. That's um, it's really good. So we talked about it quite a bit on our last show when we were investigating the hot books of the summer. I can weigh in from what I've read so far. And I do believe that it is worthy think that Colson Whitehead is probably at the peak of his literary powers right about now. Okay. I think this is like his ninth book. Um, So yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about that. It's going to be our October pick. So I think it's appropriate because it's, it's, you know, it's just like, it's real world horror. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nervous about it. Yeah, I know you with violence, but it's not, so far it has not been super violent. I mean, there has been, there's an incident that occurs, but um, it's not graphic. So. Okay. 
So that's what I'm reading. Maybe if you finish it, we could do a book swap and I'll send you my Dark Vanessa and you can send me Nickel Boys. Maybe. You have to take good care of it because I want to keep it. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll see if I can find it somewhere. Or you have I'll it? actually buy it. No, I don't have it. No, I'll send it to you. Just don't drop it in the bathtub or <laughs> <laughs> okay, anything like that. I can't remember the last time I took a bath, but that's fine. <laughs> I will not drop it in the bathtub. Oh. <laughs> I'm on a few hold lists for it, so I'll also check and see. I noticed that there were lots of copies. So even though the, the lists were long, hopefully there's some movement in them. So I'll check. If yeah. I need it, I'll let you know. Because it's not that long. I think it's a couple, yeah. It's like 220 pages. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yes, let's talk about, give us an overview of what you've read this summer. Like what was the stand, what were the standouts for you? Or let's do high and low. High and low. Like, okay. What so, do you feel like was the worst book or not the worst book or just underwhelming or. Yeah. Interesting. I don't, I don't have any lows I, I per se. I would say my the favorite books I read this summer were um, the John Taylor memoir in the Pleasure Groove, which is the basis for Duran Duran. That was a surprisingly good book to me. Um, the Last Romantics and The Other's Gold, which are two relationship-driven books that I read on vacation, which I really enjoyed both of those quite a bit. And Fleischman. Fleischman was was a high point of the summer. I really liked it. Fleischman is in Trouble by T- Taffy Bardesser Ackner. So I would say, looking back on the summer, those are the highlights, those four, mm-hmm. and the ones I would recommend highly. Um, I didn't have any duds. I think that's good. That yeah, the bookish life of Nina Hill for me was disappointing. It, I was hoping for something more substantial, and it ended up being very chiclet. E with not without much edge to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just very, it was just like a puff. Like it was very soft and just kind of easy read and not very satisfying. Right. Um, so I think that would be my, my disappointment. We've spent a lot of time on trust exercise. I'm going to say that trust exercise was among the books I had the hardest time getting through. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that was an enjoyable read. And then, you know, there's, it was like a good brain exercise. <laughs> Use the word, double the word exercise. <laughs> it, it was, was a good exercise. thinking exercise. Yeah. yeah, it was an exercise. It was not a pleasure. And, you know, that's not a book I would, I really would highly recommend. I noticed, I think we talked about that it's on the National Book Award long list. That makes sense. Or whatever the shortlist, I don't know, whatever it was that just came out. So um, I know that's a polarizing book. And for me, it was, it was, I would say that was not the high point of my summer reading. Yeah, I think that book is if you enjoy literary fiction, where you're not necessarily going to know all the answers, you have to wait a long time to kind of see the story develop. It's not something that's immediately obvious, like you read about things and then maybe they're not quite what they seem. And sometimes it comes together at the end. So it is kind of an exercise and a commitment and more if you like that type of thing, if you're willing to entertain that type of thing. If you get to, if you 
It's one of those books I feel like you have to commit to reading in its entirety and not necessarily enjoying it to see what the point was or to get the benefit out of it. And if you're one of those people, and it's totally okay, because sometimes I'm one of those people, is when you get to the end of it, you if you don't feel like it's worthwhile to almost mm-hmm. take that journey, if you don't like taking those kinds of journeys with those books, then I would not recommend it in terms of just being entertaining. You know, like if you want something that's just an engrossing read that you're going to really love, that is not the book that I want that I would recommend. There are certain books like that, that I've really enjoyed. I would say Kate Walbert's book that came out last year was a little bit like that. It was, uh, I feel like it was a young woman who was set in a boarding school or maybe she was in, it was her first year of college. She got involved with her professor and over the course of the story, there's, there's things that you realize in the telling of it that, are not immediately obvious until you get to the end. And uh, the book was called His Favorites. So, mm, right. I have that book. So, yeah, you kind of just, <clears throat> yeah, have to be either in the mood for it or enjoy that kind of, <laughs> that kind of literary exercise. Right. How about you? What were your highlights? So my highlights, first of all, I want to mention two books that I read and I've talked about them recently, but It is Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th through October 15th. And these two books were about women. Uh, um, One was a woman who married very young. I think she was 15 when she was married. This is Dominicana by Angie Cruz. And she comes to the United States with her husband. She does this. She gets married so quickly and so young in order to pave the way that her family will be able to come over, over the years. So she makes a lot of sacrifice in this marriage, you know, being married so young to a husband who is not necessarily faithful and who has definite ideas about how she should live her life. I mean, it is the 1950s. So I can't say that women, well, not fifties, it was 1960s. I think that women were as autonomous as now, especially within the Dominican culture. But her husband Mm -hmm. is called back to the Dominican Republic and she gets to live a little bit, you know, she gets to experience some freedom and do some things that she wants to do with his brother is living with her at the time. So like I said, this book reminded me the most of Anita Shreve's book, just the feeling of a woman who is sort of trapped in this relationship that might not be to her liking and she gets a chance to experience life and sort of live life on her own terms. And what is she going to do when the situation has changed? And she's kind of forced to go back into her box. And it was, it's, it's a really good story. I mean, there's lots that takes place um, with her husband. She's living in, I believe Harlem, not too far from the Audubon theater. So theater. So she looks out into the Audubon theater. And of course that's where Malcolm X was killed. And, So she's in the middle of these historical events and making these life choices and the immigrant experience. And it was such a good book. It was a book of the month club pick that I believe if you got it in August, it came out a little bit early because I think this came out at the very end of August or early September, but it was really good. And so was the affairs of the Falcons by Melissa Rivero. And that is also about, in this case, it is about a family who, 
they are the wife and the husband are not legal immigrants. So they are living with his cousin and they have lost their home and they're kind of in transition and living with his cousins and they have two children. And it's a lot about the lengths of what people will go to in order to stay in this country and take advantage of opportunities that are not open to them when they are in other countries. I really like this because she's a complicated character. I don't think that everyone will like the choices that she makes. And she's faced with some very difficult choices in order to keep her family together and to keep them in the country. And just some of the assumptions that she makes, it's really interesting to look at a character who has a goal and is willing to do things in service of that goal. And they don't, how it can sort of blind them to some things that they may not have realized. So she has a transformative arc that's really interesting. And I I really enjoyed those two books. So if you're looking for something for that, then those are really good. What about your disappointments? Uh, My disappointments. I don't know. There's one book that I really love that I have to mention. It was nonfiction. It was a nonfiction memoir by Elaine Welteroth. And she was the editor of Teen Vogue, I want to say. And she wrote a memoir called More Than Enough, Claiming Space for Who You Are No Matter What. And that is, I can't recommend that highly enough for just everyone in terms of identity and what steps you want to take in, in your career and kind of figuring out who you are as a person and what you want to accomplish and taking steps towards that. It's a really, really lovely, feel good memoir. And she is hilarious. I now follow her on Instagram. My disappointments. Okay. I would say that Verity by Colleen Hoover (laughs) was probably my most, I won't even say, you know, that's a difficult book to talk about because I won't say that it's not like it's not a page turner. I was very interested in this book in the setup. There were some elements of it though, that just made me roll my eyes, which I talked about before, you know, the fact that She's reading this book. There's just there's just some things that very easily did not have to just defy plausibility in the way that it do- it does. Like I said, she's it's about this woman who goes to live with um an author who has been she's been injured. She's not quite she's not conscious. And but she's this huge author who's written all of these books and she goes because she it's going to be her job to read the series and finish the series for this author. And her the woman's husband, Verity, is the author. She has, you know, he, he says to this young author, you know, look, my wife really loved your books. And that's why you were on the short list of books of authors that we we went to in order to complete this series. And so she goes to live with them and to look through Verity's manuscripts just so that she can finish this series. Like she's there to do research. She finds this book that is not like the rest of the books that she has been going through. It's autobiographical. It's Verity just writing her little journal over the past few years. And she discovers some very disturbing things um, in terms of how Verity felt about her family and how she might have been complicit in the deaths of of uh, two of her daughters. So 
the thing that I just get caught up on is that she reads this author's other works in order to complete her manuscripts. You know, she's read those at a decent clip just overnight or whatever. But this one book, she, she will only read a chapter and she's like, oh, I can't wait to read the next chapter. I can't wait to see what, and she won't finish it. So it's just super unrealistic and just bothered me. And I also, it was one of those books that I figured out the twist or what was supposed to be the twist. It was pretty obvious to me. So that wasn't holding me, but so that was disappointing. And I have to say that for our book club book, I knew something that we'll discuss, but I, and I, I feel like books read differently for you. If, if something, if something that the author is saying is secret, is not, is not a secret to you. So we can discuss that mm-hmm. in a little bit. Okay. So I would say that Verity was, you know, Verity and the Swallows by Lisa Lutz. You know, I'm looking at my books as of, of what I've read over the summer, and sometimes we jump around with our travel travel schedule or what we're mentioning because we have guests. And so there's a few books that I feel like over the course of the next few episodes, I'm just going to make a note to mention to people that I really enjoyed that I did not talk about a lot enough. You may have just heard me say I was reading it, but I don't know if I gave everyone the follow-up. So I'm going to make a note of that. And Okay. And break those up over the next few shows. So that's that. Okay. That's our quick look back on the summer. Before we jump into our book club discussion of The Real Michael Swan. We're going to do backlist books. Yeah, backlist books. But I also wanted to do some news because there was a news item that I had that I was holding back from. I think we ran that. We our shows were running really long for us. Like we're talking about an hour and a half. So I didn't get a chance to tell you. And it was so interesting with the timing that Tana French, her, uh, the first book in her murder, Dublin murder squad series has been adapted as a series for stars. And I think it's, I think it's going to be starting in November. And it was really interesting because we had we had a show where we were mentioning um was this my backlist book? I don't know why. I don't remember why I mentioned In the Woods by Tana French, but that is the first novel in her series and that's going to be the first case, you know, it's a, you meet Rob Ryan mm. and he's a detective who because of, you know, is put, is working on a case with his partner, Cassie. And because of a, of what happened to him as a child, he had been involved in a tragic crime as a child. And there's a connection to this case that he's investigating, but he doesn't tell, you know, he doesn't tell his partner, he doesn't tell his superior officer. So he's sort of coming a little unhinged as he's investigating this crime but he doesn't let anyone know. So that is the book that kicks off the series. And then, you know, the likeness is the second book that's about Cassie. And then you, in each book you meet a detective that is probably going to be the detective whose point of view the series will take place from in the next book. So I'm so excited about that. I really love that. We'll link to the trailer because it looks dark and similar to what the book should look like. I even think the guy who plays Rob is about, 
You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's about right. I kind of want to read this again now. I haven't read any Tana French, so this doesn't, um, I have no idea what you're talking about when you're talking about these characters, but I know that she is beloved. She is. Especially among people who enjoy mysteries. Right. I am a completist for Tana French. I have read, I think there's five books in the Dublin murder series. And then her standalone, which was The Witch Elm, which is, it's excellent. Like, I just felt like it was such a good treatment of the subject matter. But it's also one of those books that it's a slow moving, intricate story where you get lots of information on different characters. And if you're not willing, you know, if that's not your thing, you're not going to like it. But I love that book. Well, that's exciting news. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was super exciting in the newsworthy bit. The National Book Award finalists. I want to take a look at those just because have we read? I mean, I feel like we had a show where we just talked trash about all the, the, the book awards. And I feel like I've read a fair amount of the ones that have been nominated for 2019, or I just feel like maybe they Uh, were not. Although some of them are ones we've talked about on the show. So Fleischman, um, trust exercise, Sabrina and Karina stories by Callie Fajardo Einstein. I've never even heard of that one. Black leopard, red wolf, which I know you've talked about. Um, Layla Laman, Lalami, the other Americans. I want to read that. Uh, yep. Black light stories by Kimberly King Parsons, the need, which you read disappearing earth by Julia Phillips. Um, on earth were briefly gorgeous by ocean Vuong, which we talked about last week and the nickel boys, Mm. Which I'm reading. This is a good. This I feel like some years you the book awards just really align with what I'm about, and it's yep. just so hit or miss. Like this is a good year for. Yeah, I talk about. I know we t- joked about on Earth we're briefly gorgeous. How I kept reading that summary and it just doesn't stick. And I go, oh, that sounds really interesting. And then I can just never remember what it's about. I know. Uh, it's kind of sticking a little bit more since I said that, since I embarrassed myself a little bit, a little bit more. But this is a pretty good list. Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I just, I love Marlon James. I, I want to read, I love the Book of Night Women. I really want to read the one that he wrote after that. But I don't think I'm going to read Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I think it's going to be, I think it's too out there for me. I don't think I'll enjoy yeah. it. I don't know. They call it an African Game of Thrones, and I got through Game of Thrones, but I watched Game of Thrones. And the first... It took me a while to get into Game of Thrones. Everyone was really into Game of Thrones, but that was one of those things where you had to watch the entire... I had to watch the entire first season to sort of become invested. Up, You know, if my cousin hadn't been forcing me to watch it up until that point, I could have just let it go at any moment. I do want to read yeah, Fleischman is in trouble. Yes, I really think you should. That was really interesting because that popped up on my Instagram feed and someone was just like, this book is so boring. Does it get any better? Should I finish reading it? Oh, interesting. I didn't think it was boring. A little long. It could probably be edited, but I would definitely wouldn't call it boring. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a polarizing book. Like some people really like it and some don't. 
and some find it confusing and some find it pointless and some find it brilliant. So I really liked it. Okay. So backlist right. books. Backlist books. Okay. So my backlist book for this week is Maine by J. Courtney Sullivan. So I want to be a J. Courtney Sullivan completist, but I'm not. I think I've read two, maybe three, and I've missed one or two, which I would like to pick up at some point. But um, Maine is about um, a summer house in Maine and um, one summer when three children come home and spend time with um, their mother who's there. And it's all about family relationships. I wouldn't call it dysfunction. It's not like a super dysfunctional family, but it's just about the shifting alliances of family relationships and the shades of gray that make them complex. Um, she's got, uh, a daughter that comes back and then a daughter-in-law. Um, and then I think there's a granddaughter. And so you've got all these women who are kind of, um, you know, have their own things going on. And they come back to this microcosm of the home for a couple weeks over the summer. And it's just about what's going on there. And I really like her writing. She's just like one of those kind of detail relationship people, kind of like Jennifer Haig, um, Sue Miller, that type of writing. And I just, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've read Maine. I feel like I, um, what books have I read by J. Courtney Sullivan? I think that I must have Do you read, read the engagement. Have I read any of her books? No. Saints for all occasions, commencement. Maybe I've always wanted to read her books. I feel like she writes those intricate summer novels that you can just sink into. Yeah. And oh, she's for sure. good for, well, I guess she writes one every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like her writing a lot. I would, she, she wrote a book called commencement, I think, which I haven't read yet. And I did not read saints for all occasions and it's supposed to be great. And it's just sitting on my shelf. Are you going to work on it? Are you going to work on being a completist? <laughs> I'd like to. Yeah. That's a goal. Okay, so my backlist book, I don't have many of these because I don't read a lot of short story collections, but this short story collection was so good. And it's called Stories, just called Stories by Zora Neale Hurston. It's collected short stories of hers. I don't usually like short stories because I feel like I want, I usually want depth of characterization and sense of place and just it's just a different experience reading a novel than it is reading a short story. And I feel like I like the deep dive a little bit more. So I don't find that I resonate with a lot of short stories, but her short stories are so good because she managed to give each short story that she writes that depth and that weight of characterization that you usually find in a novel. Let this plane go by. She is able to do it and bring it to a short story and the end. Um, she has such vibrant short stories. Now I listened to this on audio. The narrator was excellent. Her name was Renee Joshua Porter. And she, um, 
if you haven't read Zora Neale Hurston before, or if dialect usually isn't your thing, then I would recommend listening to the audio because she does the dialect really well. It's that heavy Southern dialect that in itself is just so communicative. And she does a good job of getting that through. So there were some, there were like three short stories that I've really liked in this collection. One was called Drenched in Light. Um, it's about a grandmother who's, you know, she's like trying to deal with the youthful, the exuberance of her granddaughter. Um, then there was one called The Conscience of the Court, where this woman has committed an assault and she's trying to defend herself in a court where she already knows that she's going to be convicted, but she tries to explain her point of view anyway. And then there is the story that really got to me. It's called The Six Gilded Bits. And it's the story of this couple who really loves each other, have a great relationship and what they, how they try to come together and stay together in the aftermath of a break-in. So not really, like I said, short stories, they usually lack that depth and that heft that I like, but she is really good. And um, I really recommend this collection. Like I said, if you have issues, if you have trouble getting into dialect, this author this um, narrator does a really good job with it so that you'll be like really into these stories. <sighs> so good. All right. So are we ready to go into our book yes. club discussion? It seems yes, like. Yes, yes. Okay. Dun, so dun, if dun. you have not read the real Michael Swan, here is the fact pattern of the real Michael Swan, and we will let you know when we're going to start getting into spoilers. So if you've listened this far, but you haven't read the book yet, you want to know whether you should read the book. It is a thriller about um, a bomb goes off in New York City under, uh, basically at Penn Station, which is under Madison Square Garden, on a weekday late afternoon when there has been a... Um, already been a shutdown on Amtrak, so the uh, train station is much more crowded than usual. It's filled with people. And then a bomb goes off, and in the aftermath of the bomb going off, you follow what has happened to a man who has survived the bombing. So at the same time, we're learning about a marriage between Michael Swan and his wife, Julia Swan, and they met in Delaware and eventually moved to a suburb of Philadelphia called Westchester, Pennsylvania. And Michael, the husband, has been in New York City that day interviewing for a new job. He calls his wife from Penn Station, says he's coming home. Then he calls her again and says, I'm delayed. And then the next thing she knows, <clears throat> the this bomb has gone off and she can't reach her husband. So the book is about you follow kind of alternating viewpoints. You follow him. Uh, you sorry, you follow her and her sort of panic and desperation after this happens, and you see some flashbacks into their marriage and how they got together and some challenges that they're facing as a couple. And then you're also following the survivor of the of the bombing, the Michael Swan, who has Michael Swan's briefcase and cell phone, and you're sort of figure you're following to see whether she can find Michael, whether she's going to be successful in trying to, you know, get to New York City and find him because she believes he's alive and wants to find him. And then you're also seeing 
kind of police interest in the story and what's going on. And, and a lot of people are kind of trying to get to the bottom of what has happened to Michael Swan. So that's all I'm going to say. That all pretty much happens early on. So there's really no spoilers there. All right. So that is what the book is about. And we'll, we'll give our non-spoilery reactions to it. Like, so what did you think about it? Before we get into the discussion, Gail, just like, what was your, what were your uh, thoughts? So. Did you like it? Yeah, like I liked it? it. I didn't love it. I liked it. I mean, it was, I think like put, put my finger on it when I was writing my review, which is that for me, what happens when I read a thriller is I'm sort of breathlessly flipping pages, trying to get through it and get to the end and find out what happened. I find, you know, the fact patterns are irresistible, like, you know, these great setups with these situations and you want to know what happened that's kind of just like human nature to like want to know what happened but for me when I read I really like to investigate the language and I like to sort of let the words have an impact on me and I that was just not the case with this book at all because it's not what it's meant to be so I don't want to judge it and say oh well I you know the writing wasn't um sort of impactful or eloquent or I don't know what the word is like um literary enough for me because that's that's not what it was supposed to be. It's a thriller. So I think like my issues with it were more with the format of the book, the genre of the book, which I know is ironic because I picked it, um, than it was with the book itself. <laughs> I um, had some, you know, there were some things in the story that were implausible that you kind of like that wouldn't have happened so fast or that was too coincidental. But I did enjoy kind of his like – exploration of the re- the relationship and this kind of suburban life they were living and some of their the things they didn't like about their life um I, okay i'll save i'll save the rest until we delve more into the spoilery discussion so i would say it for me it was like a b it was not you know it wasn't i read it i was engrossed i was eager to get to the end and find out what happened but as far as like a, a piece of literature it was you know, it, it wasn't my favorite. What about you? Okay. I really liked it. I really liked it. And I wonder if it is, I, I get what you're saying with thrillers because the very nature of them, even if you are reading, I would say a literary thriller, the very nature of thrillers is to make you turn the pages as quickly as possible to see mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And there are thrillers that I read have read that I feel like have had that that element where you do want to pay attention to the characterization or the the wording and the phrases I think that they that you can get caught up in them on a second reading if you know I mean we we are so reluctant with the time that we have to go back and reread books but there are some of them that I do feel like have that kind of literary the literary trappings that make you want to savor them a little bit more that you, that you just don't because you're just like you said I need to know what's going to happen I am like reading these words on this page as quickly as possible and I'm not you know it's almost like when you sit down to a meal and you know the meal is so good and you've been looking forward to it but you're just going to sh- and you're just shoveling it in your mouth right <laughs> because you just want to yep. eat it so quickly as opposed to like, maybe you don't want it to get cold or whatever it has. Yeah, you know, you're in you're a rush or something. trying to consume it as quickly as yeah. possible. 
And so you're missing out on all the nuances that you know you would enjoy. Yep. So that being said, so I do get that. And I think that maybe I would have had that same kind of feeling except for I knew right away and I did not waver on the fact that one of the central questions of the book I had the answer to. So I was able to take it. I was able to just enjoy that other stuff because I was just kind of like, oh, I wonder how this is going to unfold and wrap up because I know the answer to this question. All right, let's cut off the the non-spoilery part now. So if you haven't read The Real Michael Swan and you'd like to read The Real Michael Swan, then I would recommend – Or you, or you just don't, don't care. care. Right, or you don't <laughs> want to know anything, in which case you've probably already turned us off. Um, then I would stop right now. <laughs> if you have read The Real Michael Swan or you're – probably not going to read it, but you want to hear the discussion, then keep listening. Because I think now we're going to get into the true spoilers of this book. So let's give everyone, thank you for reading. I mean, thank you for listening. Happy reading. Catch you next time. Leave us a review. (laughs) Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So now let's get into... So eloquent, Rushing through it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you are saying to me that you discovered, you figured out early on that the man who survived the bomb was not Michael Swan. Was not Michael. I knew he was dead immediately. I didn't know. Did you know? I thought it was him. I mean, I had some doubts. You know, there were some things that there was... One thing that was interesting is they referred to him frequently as looking at his driver's license. And they never said whether he looked like the picture on the driver's license or his ID or whatever it was. Like, they never really got into, like, what does this man who has survived this bomb look like? And does he? Of course not. Because if he's Michael Swan, he's not going to be like, oh, that looks like me or. Um, I thought it was so weird the way the person who had survived was so. You know, he was so confused, but yet he just had this innate sense to keep running from authorities. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense because that's not what Michael Swan would have done. Like he would have just deep down, he probably would have felt this like impulse to get help and to get back in touch with his family. Whereas this guy was on the run the whole time. So that seemed weird. Well... I didn't think that seemed weird because in – I think that one of the really interesting things that he was trying to do with this book was to look at the profile of a terrorist is not what you would think, you know, what you have been led to believe. That, you know, this was much more about domestic terrorism. And I think that there there was an intention that there was always a question mark on – had things devolved and gotten so bad for him that this could be something that he did. So I did not feel the fact that he might have had an impulse to run from the police. I didn't feel like that was out of line for him to do that because we're not, I think that throughout this book, um, Michael is presented. Michael is always shown through Julia. So we never get Mm -hmm. to hear for the most, we don't get to hear Michael say, this is who I am and this is what I feel. Throughout the book, there were 
even around his career, he worked in the government. Like for whatever reason, that part was always really vague what he did. He was sort of this man of mystery when she met him. He works in the government. You know, at one point, there's this line where it's just like she never had any idea of what he did, but she became involved with him or whatever. Then he goes and he, he does something for sports. And I think later on, it becomes clear that he is a salesman. He's having issues with his boss. So I think that we were never really supposed to know. And Julia doesn't know. I mean, in fact, Julia's son is the only one who knows that Michael did not commit this crime. My dad did not do this. He is a good guy. Her son knew. She didn't know. I felt like there were some parts of her husband that were always kind of a mystery, his anger, his rising frustration. So I think that she always had doubt. So whether it was Michael or not, I felt like there was always some doubt or I would have had doubt about whether he would run from the police or not because we weren't, you know, I think part of the book is just like, do you really know who your husband is? And if he's having all of this, these problems, especially in light of what happened with her father, Mm -hmm. could he have crossed that line? So I was never convinced that he would not have run from the police. You know, it's just like, whoever this man is, whether he's Michael Swan or not Michael Swan, which I, you know, I thought Michael Swan was dead. Whether he is or not, I'm not sure whether it seems valid that he might try to run from the police because I don't know what he's capable of and he doesn't know what he's capable of. So you think there were sort of two plausible scenarios of this book, either Michael Swan died and this person has taken his identity, which we now know is the case, or Michael had this, you know, whole double life or this whole secret, not double life, but secret uh, side to him that she didn't know. I think that the book laid the groundwork for both. And I, for me, those were the questions. I was just like, I thought Michael. And there was no scenario where you, in your mind, where Michael survived, but had amnesia or, you know, had been trauma, had trauma from his thing and was literally just trying to get home and was confused. No, I felt like the wording around when the, the wording around, if you, when I read the book, the wording around, he never says, it's never like this man got up and picked up his briefcase. Mm -hmm. This guy had a head trauma. I was like, Michael was, when, when she lost connection with him, I felt like I was just like, okay, he died. I was pretty sure. And it was, my suspicion was confirmed on the way he mentioned the briefcase. Like, I don't know how this got in my I don't remember picking this up. Did I pick this briefcase up or was it always in my hand? So, you know, and then he makes that in the novel, there's that thing where he sees the finger with the blood on it. And he's not sure why he didn't pick that up. So I felt like he. And of course, now we know that he had switched briefcases with Michael. So he probably had it on him, but there was such interesting placement of language around the briefcase that I was just like, okay, so he has Michael's briefcase, but he cannot be Michael because it was not like I had the briefcase. I remember the briefcase. I knew he didn't remember a lot, but I think that that's just too from reading a lot of stuff. I was like, this is not, you know, Michael is dead. You figured this out before I did. 
I think you're a more astute thriller reader than I am. I think I like I <laughs> I read books just kind of literally, you know, and I don't I don't have an eye for like sussing out the thing. I sort of take things more at face value. Maybe that was like my issue with tr- trust exercise. Um, that's interesting. So let me ask you, how did you feel about the Julia side of the narrative? Not the, not the story, but like the, the, the way the book was unfolding. Like, were you frustrated with her? Were you, what did you think about like her, the whole setup of her life? Well, I thought that this was an interesting construction. This was a conversation that I wanted to have with you. Did this remind you, did, did, did this construct remind you of anything else that we've read? Of course, I feel like it does. So this is like a leading uh, question. That, that you and I have both read? That we've uh, both read. I don't know. I mean, it's not nothing's coming to mind. I'm sure once you say it, I'll see the parallels. All right. So this construction, and we talked about it, reminds me so much of a book that is about war, in a sense, that is super, super serious. It's... um. Gosh, and I'm not going to be able to think of the name of it. It's the the one where the wife the wife doesn't have a voice. It's told from like heaven or oh, middle. Waiting for Eden. Wait, waiting for Eden. I thought that the construction. I thought that the it interested me that this was two male authors who are writing from a removed point of view, following a woman's actions. Oh, interesting. I, I, I thought the frame was very interesting because they were both very similar, you know, telling the story of this woman and how her actions affect or don't affect these men that she, the men that she's involved with and telling it from this removed perspective where it's not her, but you're following all of her actions. You know, I don't, I don't have either uh, book in front of me, but I think you hit on something interesting, which is, I believe in this book, the Michael chapters are in first person and the um, Julia chapters are in third person. And I think that there's a similar narrative setup in Waiting for Eden, right? Where like some was. Right. There was. It, it, well, because remember, in Waiting for Eden, we know who's telling the story and who's telling the story is the friend who died immediately in the bomb. And he is watching from wherever he is, the afterlife. He is watching this interaction between Eden and the husband. So this construct was sort of like, I would argue, and I'll ask you, do we ever really know who is telling this story? Because on the one hand, Julia writes a book called The Real Michael Swan. And then on the other hand, this guy, this, I think his name is Schmidt, Dan Schmidt or Donald Mm -hmm. Schmidt or something. He is writing this narrative called the real Michael Swan. And I feel like in the beginning he's there's parts of it where it seems it's very clear that he's telling the story where he sits, he meets with the therapist. She's the only one who ever looks him in the eye. And this is a love story. I'm going to tell you a love story. And it's, you know, we're told that it's not necessarily because he was there. It seems like is the implication. I, I have to look at the wording on that. See, I was clued off from the very beginning that Michael was probably dead just because of, I was very interested in the narrative structure. And like I said, this comes from reading too many mysteries (laughs) Mm -hmm. and thrillers that it's just like, hmm, what's going on here? 
that made me very curious. And I'm looking for my book because there were some pages that I dog-eared people. <laughs> Do you feel like um, when you say the beginning and he says this is a love story, so the actual – the guy who impersonated Michael Swan, who, of course, is also the perpetrator of the bomb, who's killed all these people responsible right. for everything, is he – like sort of that like stereotypical domestic terrorist who's like no woman loves him and he feels isolated. And so has he like sort of convinced himself that he right. loves like he's co-opted, yeah. co-opted this narrative where he won't he won't let her go. Her being Julia, this woman he's never met. Okay, So listen to this. This is this is yes. This woman who's never met is just like, oh, so not only are you a domestic terrorist, but you're like abusive to women or something. So page two, it goes, this isn't really my story. It's hers, though I have no idea where she is. As the long days turn to longer nights, when I close my eyes, I still see her face, the look in her eye even. It's all I have. That and this story of hers. So I, that just made me think, I was like, okay, so this guy is saying that he's telling the story. It's her story. It's not his story. So I was just like, this can't be Michael, because how, how is it not Michael's story, too? I imagine that if anyone is to read this, they would wonder how I can know everything that happened. Well, the truth is that this story doesn't come from the words of others. Words are undependable, memories even worse. Instead, her tale comes from my soul, from our souls. That is why I can assure you that it is nothing but real. So, and this is what reminded me of the Eden, you know, like this story is not coming from us. It's coming from our souls or heaven or some place of remove. So then he goes, who are our friends, who are our enemies? It caused us to question our neighbors, even our families, even ourselves. You may ask, who am I to tell this story? To that, this is my answer. So he said that and and then the whole thing about who picked up the briefcase. I was like, okay, so this is... This is a story about this relationship, this this relationship between, and I read it as more of a relationship story, I feel okay, like. Okay, but a relationship between who? And it was between Julia and Michael, her the real yeah. Michael Swan, like the person that she knew and had made all this these sacrifices for in terms of her career and raising her children and... I just always read it as that there was something terrible that was going to happen to Julia and something terrible does is that horrible moment where she's running to meet Michael mm -hmm. and she's trying to save him and she's going out on a limb for him and she gets there and it's not him. And it's someone who has not only has he killed all of these people, but you know, for some small amount of time, He's ruined Michael's reputation, you know, because originally they think that Michael is the bomber. Her friends have started to pull back from mm -hmm. her. You know, she's noticed this rift that she, I mean, how do you, you're going to have to go the rest of your life and realizing that when you really needed them, your friends started to put distance between you all. And right. just the pain of thinking, okay, my husband is alive and I'm going to get to see him one more time. And you look and it's this terrible man who you have been, you know, like she's leaving her kids and trying to track Michael down and then trying to um, stop him from being ensnared by the officers at the end. 
and you know he's running to her and you know she sa- she says she just tries to claw him so uh, let me ask you some just factual questions to make sure i got this all right so this guy starts okay. the fire in new jersey that shuts down amtrak and then he goes to penn station because he ends up being in penn station when the bomb goes off because he sets the bomb off right right so michael the real michael the actual michael who's in Penn Station after his interview, sees that this guy has put a briefcase down. Like, what happened in – tell me what happened in the train station. All right. So in the train station, Michael is on the phone. He's talking to Julia. And they – throughout the novel, they're – you know, we we are hearing about the surveillance tape. And on one, like, it actually – I guess the first page starts with this – surveillance tape that the guy looks at and the therapist is asking him, do you remember this? And he says he doesn't remember it. And it's this guy who's like emerging from the debris with a briefcase and he's running. So later on, I think when they are showing when different footage is coming out and they're looking at it from different angles, I guess, as they're going through things, they see another piece of surveillance that shows Schmidt, the guy, Michael's on the phone. I think he's sitting in Penn Station. He's on the phone and they see him quickly exchange briefcases with him. So he has Michael's briefcase at that point. And Michael Michael doesn't realize that. And at some point he doesn't realize that it happens. He's like, he's distracted. He's on the phone. He's not looking. This guy quickly switches briefcases with him. And then at some point he must look down, realizes what's going on and tries to run away with the briefcase to get it away from as many people. But of course it goes off. So they're both caught in the debris. I mean, Michael of course is killed instantly if he's carrying the bomb and the guy comes to and either picks up Michael's briefcase, which is right by him or he's always had it. You know, that's, that's the mystery. That was like the mystery around the language of the briefcase. I don't know how I got it. I don't know if I pick it up. I don't remember picking it up. I'm not sure. Is this me? So do you think it's realistic that that guy, if if he were as close to Michael as he was when the bomb went off, because Michael had just seen him and taken this briefcase out, wouldn't he be dead? Like, I found it implausible uh, that, like, the – terrorist had survived and michael had not when everything seemed so fast and like the fact that they had footage of this whole thing like i think that it there were some chain of events that seemed implausible to me that made it hard for me to like truly picture what had happened and and make sense of the overall story yeah but i don't know well then see then that's why it comes back to you say, why do I ever read thrillers or why do I do this? Because you have to suspend some yeah. disbelief. And two, I think that even around 9-11, so many conspiracy theories arose. Could this have really happened? Right. People managed to pull things off. Like when you you see those shows with the pickpockets and it looks like the pickpocket is just standing there talking to you and he's just like, oh yeah, I took your wallet and you didn't even yeah. notice. Or someone brushes against you. I mean... I don't know. With the way people are into their phones, they're leaning over, they're doing whatever. Well, that part I think makes sense. It's more just like if this bomb was of such a massive scale, it seemed implausible that 
did. But he got caught in the bomb. And if he had made the switch and is already moving in the opposite direction. And I don't know what direction Michael moves into as we choreograph this out. Well, and then. (laughs) To whether it makes. And then Michael is seen to be this. He didn't escape. He could escape. He didn't escape. I mean, he was caught in this. He was caught in the thing, too, with traumatic head injury. He's never going to. It seems like he won't ever really remember he knows that he likes the story that michael has with julia and he's decided that he wants it to be his i do think that there is a difference between holding a briefcase with a bomb and then maybe being 10 20 feet away right i think one one definitely dies and one you know maybe he walks away for a little why bit. is michael seen as this big hero because i mean he did he get the bomb away from big groups of people he didn't. He tried. He tried. Okay, so that's why. It's not like he looked at it. He didn't look at it, put it down, and run and book it. Yeah. He ran with it. You know, he was trying to get yeah. away, but. Yeah. Um, how did you like the end, which is told later on, um, 20 years on or something, 10, 10 years on? I don't know. 15, 15. years later. And Julie is giving a TED talk and she's. Talking about her husband <laughs> and this video, which has been now seen by billions of people over and over again about uh, of the real, the actual Michael Swan taking off with this bomb filled briefcase. And he's seen as a hero because he tried to save everybody. Um, and now she's kind of reflecting back on her husband and this thing. What, what did you make of that last section? I don't know. I mean, it's just, just like, okay, this is cute. So now she has a TED talk. You know, she's become this, it's just like how very modern. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that for these characters, it was nice to move on and let her have that ending where she has found some amount of peace, like she's seen her boys grow up. And she's been able to guide them through this in a way that it seems like they have become healthy individuals who are not, who have not been as scarred as they could have been by this. Like, yes, they got through a very difficult time and they make the point that they're going to do it together as a family. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. why not give her her <laughs> Ted talk? What did you think about the, I thought one of the things that I thought was done really well with the story is the, the picture of Michael, I think, was vague enough that this could have been anyone's husband. Do you know what I mean? There was not anything very specific to him that you would say. He was like every man, in a sense, which I think is the point that they're looking for someone who, well, I guess Schmidt is the extreme. Like, he's been really down on his luck. He was fired. I mean, there's lots of parallels between them, but you get to see how one guy makes different, completely different choices in similar circumstances, but also with the friends. How did you think about how quickly the friends rushed with, with stories? You know, I think it's making the point about how, I don't know. What did you make of that? Well, yeah. I mean, she sort of had the one friend who stood by her, although there was a time when I think you can even see doubt creeping into that one friend's mind. Um, Well, I think she's thinking about her family, too. Like, do I want to be seen? Like, she says she'll do stuff in the dark. Yeah, no one wants to be really aligned with poor Julia at this point because they think her husband has been, you know, is a murderer. Um, 
Yeah, I guess that seemed realistic to me. I mean, I think, I mean, I think what he did when he created Michael Swan, he did make him an everyman, but they gave, he gave him just enough darkness or potential darkness to make you think maybe he could have done this because he wants you to be able to keep that line of possibility open. Um, so they, you know, they, and don't we all have those lines of darkness, those conversations where you're frustrated and you make, I mean, it's this, this is the quintessential why alibis never make any sense or, you know, a remark that you said, I could have killed her when she said this, you know, and that's fine. It's fine to express that most of the time until she turns up dead. Right. And then it's like, oh, yeah, last week. Right, right. Like how quickly the line. <laughs> Nicole was saying yes. she could have. Right. Yeah, how quickly something can be interpreted in different ways. Right. Or last week. And it's not a big deal if you, you know, you ask me, Nicole, what did you do last night? Like, I have no yeah. idea. Who, who cares? I mean, I think. Un- you know, until something happens and then it's just like, I need to know where I right. was. I mean, I think the story of how they got from their courtship to the situation they're in now with like sort of all these financial commitments and unhappy, unfulfilling jobs and or no job. And that all, that all sounded made sense. And I think, you know, his, his depiction of their relationship and the boys and the, the, the the neighborhood, it probably, that's all probably pretty realistic. Um, you know, I think you're right that you don't, we don't really get to know Michael because intentionally he needs to keep him vague so that we can sort of cast a lot of different lights onto him that will make sense for this narrative to go in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that part all seemed realistic. It, it just, it all seemed secondary though to what was going on in New York and this this mystery, this un- unraveling, this mystery, and then, you know, getting into the, oh, there was too much of the driving, you know, the back and forth between Pennsylvania and New York and Atlantic City and the highways. And, you know, is she going to catch up? And now she's on the <laughs> shoulder and now she's out of the car. Um, and there was a lot of texting. You know, this is one thing that like drove me crazy, which is like, wasn't that, wasn't that cell phone going to expire? The, the battery's going to die at some point. I mean, he, his phone was still working and getting all these texts. And I'm like, Oh, there's no way that phone would be dead by now. Um, so, like I get hung up on little things like that, little details, like, you know, how, how quickly could they have really gotten that surveillance footage out of Penn station so that these policemen were all on alert to look for this guy in the aftermath and the chaos of bombing of one of the most, you know, populous places in the city and the choke that it put on the subway and the, the collapse of the building. I don't know. Like it all, it all happened really fast. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I guess because I'm in the city every day and I see how quickly things happen. It did not mm. seem implausible to me. I mean, people pull out cell phones all the time and then it's, it's just, you up, it takes one person to upload whatever right. and it's everywhere. And I think that that's people's, you know, it's never mine, but I feel like it's a lot of people's knee jerk reaction. You know, like they just had that awful story I think in Long Island about that teenager who was stabbed and no one went to help, but everyone videoed it. So I guess to me, it seems like, of course there was like cell phone footage and they have this and they have that because this stuff is being recorded remotely. And I would think that you would have pretty quick access to that. Um, I think that since nine 11, especially with just the way cell phones are used, that there is an act, there is um, 
there is an, an element of immediacy, which I also thought he addressed in, you know, because there was so much footage right away that they suspected Michael, but they needed, you know, it was that one other piece of footage that was able to provide clarification and he was no longer a suspect because people are just posting random stuff. And sometimes because it's so immediate, it's not even the right thing. I am curious, though, what did you think about their relationship? And um, how did you feel about how he handled? I mean, he's writing at a remove. He's writing at, like, we are told that this is not Julia's perspective itself. And, you know, is is it Schmidt's romanticized? Like, where would he get that information? So some parts, like you said, they were first person, they were told by him, but then there was other, this other nebulous, like I said, this was, this is coming from our souls. Like, what is yeah. that all about? Um, I thought, I mean, I think he did a good job with the relationship. I think, you know, he, the relationship sort of necessarily had to take like a, had to be a little truncated because he had this whole thriller to, to, to do. Other. So it was fine. I mean, it wasn't like totally, uh, it felt a, not cliched. It didn't, it felt, it did not feel surprising. It didn't feel unexpected in any way. It felt, it felt fine. Like it rang true. Right. Every yeah, relationship. Exactly. It felt like a sort of classic depiction of a. I liked it. You know, I was kind of leery when you said that we were going to be reading the thriller. I know it was one, I think at BEA, I pointed it out to you and then you took up the mantle for it and got it to this book club because I think I had kind of forgotten about it. And I was like, oh, am I going to, you know, I was wondering if it was going to be a thriller where the thrillery parts overrode mm-hmm. everything. And I feel like, you know, maybe I was able to come to it with a different perspective and could investigate and think about other things in different ways because there was no, there was, like I said, there was no mystery here for me. So I think it allowed me to read it in a, in a different way. I think that if I had to have been, if I was racing through the pages to see what happened or to see if it was Michael or not, I probably would have read it in a different way and maybe potentially found it less satisfying. But I think that there was something about saying, okay, so this is what it is. And maybe I would have these moments where, well, you know, maybe what whatever happened with her father and maybe he did get involved. And But for the most part, I would say 90% of the time I was just like, okay, he's, yeah, he really is dead. So there, I don't have to, this is not a mystery. I'm not racing to find out who it is. It's just kind of like I'm getting to know Michael through their relationship. And also the central element that was driving it was like, what is it that Julie is going to have to face? Because... I wasn't sure whether Julia was going to survive the confrontation with the police. Right. They've gone through all of this and Julia's the one who's not going to be with her boys or whatever. And the horrible thing is, you know, con- facing the fact that this is not Michael and her, I think she felt complicit in trying to save someone who had acted in such a heinous way. And then for it to not be her husband was that twist. So I really liked it. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I I liked it. I'm glad I read it. But I think it's, you know, just further affirmation for me that the books I enjoy the most are probably not thrillers. Like, I like them when I read right. it. I'm enjoying it while I read it. Um, but that... It's the greasy, it's the greasy popcorn, popcorn that leaves yeah. the bad feeling. Yeah. Somebody, 
somebody commented on my blog that I was conflating or I was unfairly lumping in literary thrillers with regular thrillers and that literary thrillers um, sort of can satisfy both elements that that need for propulsive plot momentum and also the um, satisfaction of literary fiction writing. And so I will certainly concede that that may be the case, that maybe I'm not picking the right thrillers, that there are thrillers out there that I will find satisfying both sides of my brain. Um, this probably wasn't it. Yeah. I don't know that. I, I don't know that you pick, I don't know that you've ever, I can't think of a literary thriller yeah. that you would you picked. say all the light we cannot see is a literary thriller. No. Okay. No. So did no, that person they think suggested it was? something else. I can't remember what it was. Do you I think it was? I don't know. Oh. I mean, that just felt like historical fiction to me that had a lot of suspense. Yeah, I thought that was, yes, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was really suspenseful historical fiction. Yeah, not not that. We're going to have to get you a good literary thriller and and, um, test out this hypothesis because I find that really interesting. But this was a book I really had had wanted to read. It had been on my shelf a long time and I was intrigued by it. So I'm glad that we did it. Mystery Mystery solved. solved. All right, I'm going to wrap us up here. So... um, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening to our long book club discussion. And um, thank you for tuning into the readerly report. Our next month's pick is nickel boys by Colson Whitehead. So if you want to read along with us, we'd love to have you. We'll, we'll create a video for social media so that people know what to expect or that what's, what's coming up and give people some advance notice so they can read along with us. And until next week, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.